Welcome to Think Biblically, Conversations on Faith and Culture, a podcast from Talbot School of Theology at Biola University. I'm your host, Scott Ray, Dean of Faculty and Professor of Christian Ethics. And I'm your co-host, Sean McDowell, Professor of Christian Apologetics. We're here with our guest, uh, Dr. George Yancey, who is Professor of Sociology uh, at Baylor University, had a, has had a, long, had, had a long career at the University of North Texas before, uh, before going to Baylor uh, several years ago. Uh, he's well known as a sociologist and has been, has been a specialist in some of the social dynamics of American religion. Uh, and has published a new book that, is, that we have, Sean and I both found just fascinating, and we, def, we wanted to have Dr. Yancey on with us uh, on several occasions, but this provided a great opportunity for us to do that. It's called One Faith No Longer, and it's a study of the divide that exists today between various factions within Christianity, particularly within the evangelical wing of Christianity. So, Dr. Yancey, thank you so much for joining us and for, for coming on with us. We really appreciate you taking the time to, uh, to talk to us about some of, the, some of the really insightful stuff that's in your book. Thanks for having me. So let me start with this. How would you, if you had, if you had to summarize the, the one main idea of your book that you wanted to get across to readers, what would it be? I think the notion of Christianity being this monolithic group where Christians identify with one another is a false notion. If it ever truly existed, it no longer exists, and it's probably going to become more divisive in the future. So the big idea is, I think when we're talking about Christianity and Christians, I think we're seeing two religions, not one. We're talking about Christians here in the United States. Okay. Would you, so would it be fair to say that, uh, that the polarization in the culture is also being reflected within Christianity? Yeah, that's the chicken and egg. Uh, and I do think it's more the culture re- impacting Christianity than the other way around. But of course, it's possible that the polarization in Christianity, because this didn't just begin five years ago, that the polarization in Christianity has impacted the larger culture. That's definitely a possibility. Now, you, you point out that there are two different primary branches, for, for lack of a better term, although I think it, you do make it clear in the book that these are not just branches from the same root, but actually two different roots, uh, but both progressive and conservative roots uh, that both claim the moniker of Christian. And I guess for, for full disclosure, you know, Sean and I, well, you know, I don't, I don't think anybody would mistake Sean or I for the more progressive side of the Christian faith. We sort of camp ourselves pretty firmly on the conservative side. Um, but how are you defining both progressive and conservative when it comes to Christianity, particularly the evangelical branch? Sure. What my co-author and I did was we used a theological definition in order to separate the two groups. So basically two major issues. First, how do you feel the Bible? Is it the literal word of God or is it a, a book that inspired by God, but not God's word? Second, Do you see Jesus Christ as the only way to salvation? Do you see him as one of the ways to salvation? And what we found is that that was a very useful tool so that we could separate the Christians into two different groups. Now, simply because we did this doesn't mean that they're going to become two different religions. They could be the same religion with different emphasis. And that, you know, that's a comeback that you can argue. We think, and we think our data shows, that these groups 
have different ways of looking at questions of meaning so distinct that for all practical purposes, even though, as you say, they both claim the Christian name, the Christian identity, they are two distinct religions. They described a theological approach to, to defining progressives and conservative Christians. What are the basic answers to those two questions that you get from the two camps so we know clearly what those differences are? Yeah, so the average conservative Christian, by our definition, would say that the Bible is the Word of God. That is the is a sacred book above all other potential holy books. That Christian would also say that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. We only go to heaven through Christ. The average progressive Christian would see the Bible and they would actually accuse the conservative Christian of worshiping the Bible because they see the Bible as a good book, a valuable book, an honorable book, but not the Word of God book. And they would look at Christianity as a way to salvation, a way to heaven, but it's not the way to heaven. There are, there are other paths one may take. So that's in a nutshell. Of course, there's gradations in between, but that in a nutshell separates out conservative Christians and progressive Christians. Well, it seems to me, as I read through the book, one of, one of the other ways that you distinguished between those two groups is what, what you call the, the how you measure w- whether somebody is in or out of one of these particular groups. Uh, and you make, you make the argument that... Uh, Conservative Christians measure who's in or out primarily using theological grounds, and progressive Christians measure who's in or out of the group primarily using p- political or social justice grounds. Uh, would that be a would that be a fair way of putting another one of the differences between these two groups? Yes, I do think it is a critical difference, and I think it's one of the ways in which they really have different definitions of, of reality. So I would, I would say for the progressive Christians, I went into this thinking it was going to be more about politics in a partisan sense. And there is some of that. But it's also about politics as a way to achieve social justice goals, goals of inclusion, goals of, of tolerance, goals of justice. So for them, politics is a way of achieving that. It's not the primary goal. The primary goal is their social justice goals. Whereas for conservative Christians, it, for them, interpretation of the Bible is the key on how you determine who's in or out group. You may disagree on how the Bible is to be interpreted, but you argue over that. You don't argue on whether or not the Bible is the word of God. And so they use theological criteria in order to determine who their in-group is and who their out-group is. Okay, that, that raises a really interesting question in my view um, because, you know, the vast majority of the conservative Christians voted for Donald Trump in the last two presidential elections uh, who admittedly had, you know, had major theological differences and pro- probably according to your definition, it seems to me, would have would have constituted part of the out group simply based on those theological concerns. Um, so I, help, help me understand how those two things fit together in the way you've uh, framed this. Sure. First, we have to be careful about saying that most conservative Christians voted for Donald Trump. Uh, that 81% figure is white evangelicals, so automatically excludes conservative Christians of color. 
And also, in the United States, what, about 50 to 60 percent of people vote. So you're excluding the 40 to 50 percent who did not vote. So in a sense, most conservative Christians did not vote for Trump. Now, of those who voted, who are white, they did vote for Trump. Why okay. do they do that? I, you know, I talked to a lot of conservative Christians, and the reason they give me is that Trump is not their president, you know, not their pastor. He's going to be the president. And they look to Trump in order to do certain things they want to do. So when conservative Christians do get involved in politics, especially if they're white, they tend to take the side of Republicans or conservatives in politics. The fact that progressive Christians, that they look towards politics to meet their goals more than conservative Christians does not mean that conservative Christians do not look towards politics in certain ways as well. So, you know, of those who voted, of those who got politically active, yes, Donald Trump was was their champion. How do you see the black community fitting within kind of the fundamentalist modern background that you talk about in the book? Since historically, most of the black church has been theologically and very conservative, holds conservative views on abortion and sexuality, but overwhelmingly votes Democratic, which is a, a platform that clearly embraces more, uh, let's say, progressive social issues. You know, that's a great question because I think it's a very complicated issue. I think the first thing we have to recognize is the reason why blacks vote for Democrats is different from why white progressives vote for Democrats. Uh, white progressives vote for Democrats and I'm overgeneralizing, okay? So sure. just don't shoot me here. <laughs> uh, white progressives tend to vote for Democrats on a lot of issues, especially cultural issues. Black Christians who vote for Democrats are not voting for them for cultural issues. For them, they're voting for Democrats because they see Democrats as a way to survive. And if you look at the history of African Americans and the black church and and their activity in politics and, and what's important to them. It's not that black Christians don't care about those cultural issues. They do. But for them, a lot of times, there's a survival mechanism that makes them more open to progressives. Having said all that, I do think there is some movement of African-Americans away. In fact, I know there's some movement of African-Americans away from progressives towards conservatives. There was even some this past election and while you really can't prove a counterfactual, I think that if the Republicans had a candidate other than Trump, you would have seen more of that movement. Wow. So I do think that there is, you know, it is a complicated, it's not easy. I think African-Americans ultimately are conservative Christians, but they're not going to vote like white conservative Christians because they have a concern, understandably so, about the racism and the institutional problems in our society. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Uh, you know, Dr. Yancey, one of the phrases you use in the book that I wasn't super familiar with was the, the, the notion of, of someone or a group's cultural toolkit. Uh, what do you mean by that, and what are the things that are generally in the cultural toolkit of the conservative and progressive Christians, respectively? Yeah, so cultural toolkit is a concept that's been around a while in sociology. I know people outside of sociology probably have not heard of it, but it's pretty popular among sociologists. All it means is that your culture gives you ways of looking at things. And then you take those things, the toolkit, if you will, and you use it to apply to your interpretation 
of what you're seeing. And so for a, let's say for a conservative Christian, when they, I'll just, I'll just go ahead and go to, to a common way this has been analyzed, and that's on racial issues. For conservative Christians, when they look at racial issues, they think that the solution, because the culture toolkit emphasizes individualism, when an individual to Christ, this sort of thing. So the way to solve racial problems is to win people to Christ, and then they won't become racist, so we're going to do this one person at a time. That's our cultural, cultural toolkit. A progressive Christian would not see that as the way to deal with racial issues. They would look at their cultural toolkit, which has taught them about institutions and social structures and how they impact individuals, regardless of their individual intent. And so you got to change those to make things fairer, to, to reduce justice for these marginalized groups. And so their cultural toolkit looks at the exact same problem and comes to a different answer because culturally they see things differently. So that's kind of what we mean by cultural toolkit. One thing that fascinated me is that you did not focus on sexuality issues as an example of the difference between conservatives and progressives. And I'm curious why, because I had a conversation with a pastor who's a progressive who wrote a book recently on his journey from kind of conservative Christianity to progressive. And the way he defines it in his book is he said four things. He said being a progressive is against white supremacy. They're in favor of egalitarianism. They embrace modern science. And last, are have an affirming position on LGBTQ. And as I went through those of them, I said, you know, there's a lot of conservatives who are against white supremacy, of course, depending on how you define it. Uh, there's some who are egalitarians and some who are fine with modern science. But the dividing issue seems to be affirming or non-affirming on the LGBTQ issue. And that's how he chose to define. He goes, I agree with you. I think that's kind of at the heart of the difference. Is it that you just defined it differently? Tell me why you didn't choose to use that example, the difference between conservatives and progressives. Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think we kind of went where the data took us. And perhaps with a different data set, we would have gone a little bit different. Clearly, sexuality issues came up in the interviews. So it's not that it didn't come up. But what came up more, and maybe it's because we focus in on a Muslim population on, on how these Christians reacted to Muslims, and maybe that's why it didn't come up as much. And so I'm open to the fact that that mm. may be more important than mm. we capture. You know, no one study finds everything. I, I, I wish I could say this study is it. Sure. There's nothing else to learn. I'm not, I'm not arrogant enough to say that. <laughs> Fair uh, enough. But what we found, what, what I would say, at least at this point, until there's more data, is that there's this sense of tolerance and inclusion. And part of that is how they define, and, then, and you get back to the cultural toolkit. How do you find LGBTQ issues? A conservative Christian will, will, will tend to look at those issues and say, well, even though people may be born to certain proclivities, that ultimately this is an issue of sin, not what, not what you are, but what you do with it. They will, they will focus in on that because that's where the cultural toolkit takes them. A progressive Christian with a cultural toolkit of inclusivity and tolerance would take that and go, no, the, the key is God is love. And with that love, we're going to learn how to include and love everyone. We're going to learn how to affirm everyone where they're at. Uh, and, and that's where our focus is going to be on. Hmm. So I think that the issue is important. And maybe in the future with a more carefully defined study, we can see how if that is a core issue. 
But right now, I think the core issue is just this notion of inclusivity, and that's what leads to different conclusions on what to do with sexual minorities. Dr. Yancey, you, uh, one of the most interesting findings that came out in the book was that uh, when you looked at how conservative and progressive Christians disagreed with their, what you call their expected consensus, uh, so the, when, the progress, when the progressive Christian critiqued their own progressive consensus on abortion, and when the conservative Christian critiqued their own expected consensus on immigration, uh, what you found was so interesting was how they went about that critique. You found that to be very revealing. So tell us a little bit more about what, what did that reveal and why was that so interesting to you? Yeah, so I knew uh, some progressive Christians who were pro-life, and I'd read some of their blogs. And, of course, I was also familiar with some conservative Christians who disagreed with the Republican Party on key issues, most notably immigration. Not all, obviously, on either side, but there was enough. And so I thought it'd be interesting to look at how these groups manage it when they have political disagreements with their political party of choice, because we know that conservative Christians tend to support political conservatives, progressive Christians tend to support political progressives. And so I went to blogs of progressive Christians who, and they announced that they were pro-life. And I went to blogs of conservative Christians who, were, who favored immigration re- reform. And the key differences was that the conservative Christians, they demanded legal change. Most progressive Christians, not all, but most of the progressive Christians who are pro-life, they, they advocated for not having an abortion, but they did not advocate for changing the laws. Conservative Christians used scriptures much more when it came to justifying their stances on immigration. Progressive Christians barely use scriptures to justify their stances on, on a pro-life position. In fact, they made an appeal towards their notions of social justice, much more so. So one of my takeaways from that is that for progressive Christians, even though I think that their notion of social justice is core, their allies are other progressives. And so they're in a more vulnerable position about alienating their allies. They want those allies to fight for them on social justice issues. They don't want to be kicked out of the club, per se. It's one thing to say you're pro-life. You think abortion is wrong. It's another thing to say you think abortion is wrong and there should be laws to limit it or even eradicate abortion. That gets you more in hot water with progressives in general. Progressives in general can accept a person who thinks abortion is wrong morally as long as you're not getting anything legally mm-hmm. with it. And so I think there's a limit that they can do. Because Christians have no limit politically because... For them, politics is not as important. So if they irritate political conservatives for an issue they believe they're right on, so be it. And so they advocated for change in the laws. They did not just say, look, you know, we need, as a moral issue, we need to be more kinder to the stranger who comes into our shores. They said that, but they also said, and change those laws uh, for reform. We need immigration reform. So... Because politics isn't as important to Christians, they actually have the ability to speak strong, more strongly against their political party than progressive Christians. You know, it's always interesting to me how studies sometimes are surprising. So I saw one that said uh, liberals are more likely to try different food. I thought, okay, that might, that might fit if you have this inclusive openness. 
But on the flip side, conservatives are more likely to spend more of their own money uh, towards like social justice issues. That might seem surprising if progressives are viewed as being more compassionate. Well, you showed something very interesting that uh, in your study, you found that conservative Christians had a more diversified social circle on other religions such as Islam than progressives, yet were more theologically rigid. How do those fit together? Well, let, let me let me uh, let me correct that a little bit. Their diversity is among other Christians. So when it comes to other types of Christians, consider Christians more diverse. They're not necessarily more diverse when it, when you include other religions. In okay. Fact, I suspect progressive Christians are more diverse when you, when you talk about mm, other religions. Okay. So, and I think that gets back to for conservative Christians having that Christian identity is very important to them. And so, if you're a Christian. I may disagree with you, you know, and what's that disagreement? Is it about baptism? Is it about Trinity? Or, But you're still kind of part of me. Whereas progressive Christians, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean they're going to accept you. I, I think, yeah, one of the other surprising findings that, that I saw was that uh, conservatives tend to be more accepting of progressive Christians than vice versa. Yes. Um, and I wonder if part of the reason for that is that you know, at least anecdotally, it seems like a lot of people have, have come out of more conservative backgrounds and migrated to progressive Christianity uh, than vice versa. Is, does that, is that a factor in that, or what, 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 what contributes to uh, this finding that conservatives tend to be more accepting of progressive Christians than the other way around? That might be a factor. Unfortunately, we didn't ask some questions about their religious background very much. Uh, we had some, but not enough that I could make a generalization about that. Mm-hmm. But here's what I think is happening, is that progressive Christians, their value system, their overt value systems on inclusion and tolerance. Yet, it's very hard for a social group to be totally inclusive. We tend to create outgroups, even if we say our values are inclusiveness. And so while they are very inclusive of, of atheists and Muslims and, and spiritual but not religious and and such a minorities and all these other groups, they're very uninclusive as conservative Christians. Outgroups play a role for social groups to help us to define who we are by defining who we are not. And so to help them to say that they're very tolerant, they look at the group they define as very intolerant, which is conservative Christians, and they say, we're not you. You're not us. You're not part of us. Conservative Christians, their definition is more theological. And so while they may not agree with progressive Christians, they agree with progressive Christians more than, say, Muslims or atheists or other religious groups. And so it's easier for them to see them as part of an in-group than it, than it is the other way around. Now, let me just follow up on that just for a moment. You maintain that progressives have what you call a flexible theology. Yes. That stress is more stresses on the social justice as opposed to stressing biblical faithfulness. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I'm curious, what are the things about conservative Christianity that progressives reject? You, they, you, it, you oh, mentioned their oh. view of the Bible, for one. Yes. Uh, but uh, other than that, what are, what are some of those things that progressives more explicitly reject about conservative Christianity? They reject what they see as the exclusive nature of conservative Christians, that they see Jesus as the only way. They see Christians as being intolerant, as being bigoted, if you will. 
that they don't accept everyone, sexual minorities, but also people of other religions. They can see conservative Christians sometimes, and this didn't come out as much as uh, it might have, but they see conservative Christians as not wanting to be very intellectual or or mm-hmm. go into science that much. So they have this image of conservative Christians as these as somewhat backwards, unintellectual, bigoted individuals who don't accept other folks, and that image is what they're rejecting. What do you foresee as the future for both progressive and conservative Christianity? I, I realize it could be dangerous to ask a sociologist to make kind of a prophetic word into the future. Right, yeah. But have you seen any trends in your study and research where you see things pointing towards moving and you know at any point in the future? Yeah, I don't have any trend data, so I can't really use that. What I will say is I do think that both groups want the title Christians, and so they'll fight over it for a little while. I suspect that progressive Christians, they have certain resources, uh, financial resources, cultural resources, but I think the numbers of conservative Christians, because if you look at things such as mainline churches, and mainline churches are not an exact match to conservative progressive Christianity, but it is a good indicator. Uh, They're declining. Uh, Groups of progressive Christians are basically on the decline there is some research that shows that cultural uh, that theologically progressive churches are not growing or even shrinking at faster rates than conservative churches so i think the numbers is in the disadvantage of progressive christians ultimately and also conservative christians i think probably would fight harder for the title christian than progressive christians ultimately because progressive christians are more likely to redefine themselves. Instead of calling themselves evangelicals, they call themselves followers of Jesus or, or things of this nature. And so I do think that progressive Christians are probably going to lose ultimately when it comes to definition of Christianity. Of course, that's a, you know, who knows that's really going to happen. That's what I see right now. They may, they may actually take up a different name and to become official different religion in due time. That's a possibility as well. Or they may kind of fade away. Uh, one last thing that I think is really interesting, when we talk about secularization and the, the declining numbers of Christians and the, and the increasing number of nuns in our society, one thing that we're finding, it's not that people with a strong faith in Christianity are, are declining significantly. What we're finding is that people with a more moderate or weaker sense of faith are, are becoming more of the nuns. I think to the degree that progressive Christianity, and of course this is not true for all progressive Christians, to the degree that progressive Christianity becomes a place for individuals who don't feel quite as strongly about the Christian faith, that too is going to make them more vulnerable to shrinkage and to a loss of numbers. And so that would be my guess. And I guess in 30 years, we can see how wrong I am. Yeah, right. That, that's a good, a good point. It might not even take 30 years. Well, so because I'm a conservative Christian, it makes sense to me why the title Christian matters so much. I think this is what Jesus taught, the apostles, Nicene Creed, pass on what was passed on to you. Yet progressive Christianity, in many ways, although there certainly are some beliefs that progressive Christians hold that you will find scattered throughout the history of the church, seems to be more of a modern phenomena. 
So what would be the reason that you've heard, or you would suspect, that many progressive Christians would really want to defend and hold on to that Christian title if, like you said, it's an entirely different religion than conservative Christianity? From what I've talked and heard from them, a lot of them think that conservative Christians are not really Christians, that what they have is true Christianity, you know, the, the religion of love, the religion of tolerance, of inclusion. And so they want to show people that Christianity does not have to be this image that they have of conservative Christians. And that is, I think, a very strong motivator for them to want to hold on to the title of Christianity. Is it strong enough? I have my doubts as to whether it's strong enough, given their shrinking numbers, but it does motivate many of them to not walk away from the title of Christianity. Dr. Yancey, let me ask you one final question that's not, not related to your book, if, you, if you'd indulge me on this. I've, been, I've read uh, several of your works on race. Uh, and have appreciated the general approach you've taken, you, what you call your mutual obligations approach to race. Could you just briefly summarize what you mean by that uh, and why you think that's a good approach today? <laughs> okay, do you have another 25 minutes? Uh, <laughs> now, I, I ju- I'll just say it this way, and of course, I'm oversimplifying. And I do actually do have a book coming out in February that I think will go more detail on that. Uh, I think that two- That's good to know, and we'll have you on for that. <laughs> Hey, you know, I, I, I know how to get the plug. There you uh, go. <laughs> I think there's two major ways in which our society is taking on racial issues, is either to ignore racial issues or to go to the anti-racism approach, which really is to cut off conversation uh, from certain people. I think the solution, and I, and I can make the argument this is a biblically-based solution, is to encourage a, a what I would call a collaborative conversation with people of other races where we put our cards on the table, we're honest with one another, we're respectful of one another, we learn how to listen to one another, and we try to find solutions that we can all live with. And I think that's a biblical approach. The research bears out that this is more likely to work than anti-racism or ignoring racial issues. I think that's the direction that if we want to make headway on our racial strife and alienation in our society, that we as a society need to go. Great. That's that's a really helpful summary, and uh, we'll have to be we'll have to be sure and keep in touch with you when that book comes out because I'd like I'd like to hear a lot more about that, uh, particularly from 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 someone in your position who's studied race like you have. So, Doctor Yancey, thank you so much for joining us. I want to commend your book to our listeners called entitled "One Faith No Longer." It's a very insightful study of of the the state. I say the state of Christian faith. Um, and the conclusion I think that you've drawn is an especially stark one that progressive and conservative br- branches of Christianity are not really two branches but two different roots. Uh, they don't come from the same root, but they're actually two different trees, two different religions. And, I, and it seems to me I think both conservatives and progressives w- would tend to see that about each other. That, that's not a big surprise. Uh, that they would view each other in in that way. So there's just there's a lot in the book. I wish we I wish we had another two hours uh, that we could get to a lot more of that because it's it's just a, such an insightful work. And so, Doctor Yancey, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, we look forward to having you on again uh, when your when your book on race comes out. Thanks for having me. This has been an episode of the podcast Think Biblically: Conversations on Faith and Culture. The Think Biblically podcast is brought to you by Talbot School of Theology at Biola University. 
offering programs in Southern California and online, including those in our Institute for Spiritual Formation. If you enjoyed today's conversation with Dr. George Yancey, give us a rating on your podcast app and please share it with a friend. Thanks so much for listening, and remember, think biblically about everything.